Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. My name is Danny. And my name is Giacomo. And this is our 22nd episode. Welcome back, everybody. I think we're going to get this podcast out on time this week. What do you Woo-hoo! think, Danny? Possibly. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> we're recording it on time. Hopefully, we'll be able to edit it and post it and do the same. And by we, he means me. <laughs> uh, it's a tough job. Somebody's got to do it. Anyway, it's been it has been hectic here, as usual. We just got back from the Atlanta Veg Fest, and we spoke with some of the members of the Plant Bill team there. It was a pretty interesting trip. This time around, there was a rain cloud following us. All the way down the East Coast and all the way back up the East Coast. (laughs) It just poured on us the entire time. The house we stayed at in Atlanta had no heat, so we were freezing. And then the Airbnb person came back, and then they blasted the heat on like 80 degrees. So then we were melting and the power went out a few times, mm-hmm. and it was, we love Atlanta, but this trip was not the best trip. <laughs> and it was our first, I would say, negative experience with Airbnb, so we were kind of thrown for a loop. And yeah, usually we love Atlanta, and we still do. It was just incredibly rainy. I mean, and then somehow and cold. we- And cold. Yeah, that's coming from New Englanders, so <laughs> it was cold. I was looking forward to some Georgia sunshine. Yeah. You? Oh, well. Anyway. But there was some Georgia donuts. Those were pretty good. Revolution donuts. Oh, yeah. Revolution donuts indicator. Best vegan donuts I've ever had. Ever. I mean, best donuts I've ever had. Ever. Uh, it's not a vegan place, but like probably 90% of their donuts are vegan. And I'm not even a donuts person. Like, I know everybody's all like into donuts. They're like the new cupcake. But I'm just not that stoked on donuts. But these were really, really, really good. So if you're in the area, I think it's technically in Decatur, but check it out because it was really good. And then, of course, Soul Veg, which we always hit because Soul Veg is amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that place. I, I feel like it's my favorite restaurant out there. I mean, I love all, all vegan food is fair game. There's something about Soul Veg, though. It's just very comforting. And I don't know, maybe there's a lot of love put into the way they prepare it. Who knows? But whatever the case is, I enjoy it. But our talk at the Atlanta Veg Fest went really, really well. Let's see. Who was there? It was myself, you, Aaron Fergus, Jake Henderson, Scott Shetler, Tori, Tori Washington. I'm missing somebody. Who am I missing? Uh, us? <laughs> no, I, I, I guess I that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we talked um, to a bunch of people about how... We became vegan, how we got interested in this sort of lifestyle, how we got into fitness, and why we think that this is a really important type of outreach to do within the community. So that was a really good talk. We enjoyed that a lot. And Atlanta's always just kind of like a party anyway. So we met up with a a lot of people. We ended up going out the night of the VegFest, like after the VegFest, out to dinner at Cafe Sunflower. Oh, Indame came. Indame. He didn't speak, speak, but he just... Indame, he lives in California, but I li- we literally see him all over the country. He just surprised the hell out of us and just popped up in the audience. Dame is officially the Veg Fest king. If there's a Veg Fest and there are vegan meatheads out there, you're going to see Dame pop up. <laughs> just count on it. <laughs> um, we went out to dinner at Cafe Sunflower with the whole plant-built group there. 
Dame, John Lewis, Badass Vegan, Dom Thompson. We're kind of a motley crew. It was <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I uh, love that place, and it's pretty much become a tradition that we all go out to dinner there. It's starting to feel like the East Coast hub for me, kind of in the same light that Portland feels like the West Coast hub for us when mm-hmm. we catch up with all of our friends like in one large group. Yeah. So it was a successful, albeit very long, tedious trip. So we're home now and trying to get back into our groove. What have you been up to, Jackmo? Well, I'm still reversing and going for a long and slow reverse. And I'm trying to figure out whether I'd like to speed things up or not because... I vote yes. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm on the fence about it. You know, I, I like the idea of the body composition that I have and taking a very extended off season basically to maintain my body composition and and to put on muscle so I can be more competitive for the future. What's your weight now compared to your stage weight? (sighs) Let's see. Uh, Stage weight was around 178 and right now I'm around 182. So I'm pretty much (laughs) right there. And how many weeks have you been reversing? Going on 17. 17 weeks and he's up five pounds from stage weight, give or take. Yeah. Uh, To put that in perspective, I've been reversing for 12 weeks, and I am up about 10 pounds from my stage weight, reversing more or less at the same pace as Giacomo. It's just every person's body responds so differently to reverse dieting. So even though we like to talk about how awesome reverse dieting is, and that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be able to hang on to your stage weight just by reverse dieting. It means that you are going to put on as little fat as possible rather than what most people do after a show or a diet is they just go out and eat and eat and eat and you know some people end up gaining a significant amount of weight most of which is body fat right after their diet so I will say that the 10 pounds of weight that is on me right now was very much needed I'd say so absolutely I mean not to mention you lost more weight on the way down too yeah I did lose I lost 22 pounds on my cut, which I'm 5'7", so I'm pretty tall for a female, but my stage weight, my weight actually got down to 123 at one point um, before I stepped on stage, which to me is like uncomfortably low. That I'm, My body does not want to be there uh, in person one-on-one. I probably look sick, actually, because I'm just so 5'7 and 123 pounds. That's a skinny person is what that is. I mean, I'm lean and I have muscle, but I'm small. And there's something to be said about getting so small that you feel like you're disappearing, kind of, that can make you just as uncomfortable as feeling like you can't stop getting bigger. So it's kind of a separate topic for a different day. But yeah, I'm not a huge fan of getting to that weight. It's just for the stage. Yeah. that And that's the, the funny thing about it. And that's when you start to realize that the people who look somewhat unhealthy in person are usually the ones that look the best on stage because that's, you know, just the way you need to, to be to present your body uh, in a bodybuilding competition. Mm-hmm. However, in person, you look sick, basically. And not like sick, like rad, like sick, like ill. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so. it's not sustainable and it's it's not even well, a healthy place to first be. First of all, I think it should be clarified that it's not not sustainable for everybody. It really depends on the person. Like you're 17 weeks past your show date and you're able to stay within five pounds of your stage weight because you have more muscle mass. You have a faster metabolism. 
you know, maybe if my stage weight was closer to 135 on stage, like if I had enough muscle that 135 looked good on stage and I was bigger and mm -hmm. leaner, then maybe I could stay closer to that weight. But where I just don't have that muscle development yet, like for me to be lean enough to be on stage, I'm fucking small. Right. And I, mean, and I, only, I have to gain weight to come back from that. I only lost 16 pounds on the way down, for example, as opposed to the, the 22 that you had shed. On a smaller frame. And either which way, regardless, I, I'm referring to peak week when you're actually when you're right there on stage in the two weeks before and after that period of time. That's not sustainable. No. But yes, for some people, you can stay closer to your stage weight, depending on your body, your metabolism. Yeah, uh, I do see some people catch flack for like, oh, well, they just they're so unhealthy because they stay so close to stage weight all year. And, mm -hmm. you know, there are some people who go to extreme lengths to hang on to their stage weight for as long as possible. But there are some people who are just built like that and they're lean pretty much no matter what they do. So good for them. They have different challenges. You know, those sorts of people typically are more challenged to build muscle than to stay lean, whereas for me, it's harder to stay lean than it is to build muscle. Right. Hi, kitty. I think. Our, our cat Xander wants to say hello to everybody. So yeah, we've both been on our reverse diet, and we've been pretty good about that, I think. I just started a few weeks ago, started pretty seriously into DUP training, which is daily undulating periodization, which I've sort of been dabbling in for a while, but sort of jumped full force into this. Uh, to help get as much of my strength back and then some as possible. So I have been squatting and benching three times a week and deadlifting twice a week in addition to my accessory work. Uh, I've I've also been jumping into DUP. I started I started I would say about two months before you did because I was yeah. reversing a little sooner than you were. Yeah, and I didn't want to change up my training routine too close to a show. And I'm starting to to get the hang of it my, as far as you know, adapting to the the frequency of squatting, benching, and deadlifting more often than I have in the past on a weekly basis. It's it's a struggle, you know. It's it's not easy, but like anything else, our bodies are resilient and they eventually adapt. Mm -hmm. And DUP is something we're going to talk about more in the future. I'm sure we'll do a full podcast episode on the concept at some point in the future. In other news, um, I've been facing, I posted about it on Instagram, I've been facing some health issues as of late, and that's been actually really, really challenging for me. It's not something that I like to talk about a whole lot, but it's very, very real, and it's something that absolutely shouldn't be hidden. Not that, you know, everybody should talk about all their life all the time, but I feel like in the vegan community specifically, people are terrified to say when they are, you know, struggling with this, that, or whatever health issue because you don't want to be the example of the bad vegan, the sickly, weak, uh, anemic vegan. And as soon as you start, I mean, you can freaking sneeze and someone will be like, well, if you ate meat, you wouldn't sneeze. Yeah, bacon though. I mean, and it doesn't make any sense. The same way you know, there are, are meat eaters who get sick and there are meat eaters who stay healthy. It's the same thing in the, the vegan community, you know, but, but we're constantly scrutinized. All, all that said, basically what's happening to me is no matter how much I sleep right now, I am not waking up feeling refreshed at all. I'm, I'm waking up and I'm exhausted and I can wake up after 12 hours of sleep and go back to bed within the hour. And it has been incredibly incredibly stressful for me because I'm usually like a go, go, go 
type of a person and I like to get stuff done and I physically cannot. Um, I've taken uh, quite a bit of time off from the gym over the past couple weeks. Back at it again, you know, full force. Just I wanted to give my body a break and see if that helped and it didn't. It didn't help at all. I've also been getting headaches regularly. Uh, not not like a migraine, nothing that's completely debilitating, but pretty strong headaches that come and last for hours, along with a few other weird side effects like always being cold, sort of being just like mentally foggy, I guess, for lack of a better word. And I like to, I mean, I like to think of myself as being pretty sharp-witted, but, you know, <laughs> it's... I'm, I'm feeling more like an elderly person who can't remember where they put their keys. So I went to the doctor and she was pretty alarmed with some of the symptoms that I said. And she requested a slew of tests to be done on me because there was nothing obviously wrong with me. All my vitals are fine. So we got a full blood work and hormone panel and urinalysis all done, tested for all sorts of autoimmune diseases, um, all my vitamins and minerals, etc., etc. I got all of that back today, and everything is within the normal range. Picture perfect. Picture perfect. Not anemic. <laughs> uh, my protein is actually on the high side of normal, so take that. You can't get enough protein as a vegan. Um, B12, vitamin D, thyroid, all that is perfect. And it's almost more frustrating that it's perfect, believe it or not, because if something had been wrong on charts, you know, let's say I was anemic, you know, okay, that sucks, but it's fixable. But instead, everything's perfect. So we still don't know what the hell's going on. Um, the theory right now is my doctor seems to think that for some reason, I'm not reaching stage three and stage four of sleep, which are the restorative stages of sleep, deep sleep. And basically I could sleep all night and I'll just sort of hang out in REM sleep and never actually get past that, which it kind of makes sense because I do typically dream all night, every night, and I can wake up and recall my dreams very, very easily. And I always thought that that meant you were in deep sleep, but apparently that's like one of the lighter stages of sleep. So I'm going in for an MRI tomorrow. Hopefully I don't have a tumor. Uh, <laughs> Giacomo doesn't think my tumor jokes are very funny. Yeah, I, I, I um, appreciate how you make light of serious situations, no matter how serious. I, I don't know that I could do that myself. Hey, <laughs> if you can't laugh, you'll just cry. So, I guess so. <laughs> so I'm going in for an MRI tomorrow, and I've never had an MRI, so we'll see how that goes. And then I'm meeting with a neurologist, hopefully, in the next month or so. And they're probably going to put me through a sleep study. But the more I research about sleep, because I'm just like a research nerd all the time. And I'm researching about sleep and, you know, various sleep disorders like not being able to reach stage three and stage four sleep and like what you can do about it. And it's kind of frightening to me because there is like no cure. There's not like a medication they can give you that can make you reach stage four sleep. And all of the stuff that they tell you to do to get better sleep, like I already do most of it. With the exception of not looking at my cell phone before I go to sleep. That's a really bad habit that I have, and I'm stopping it now. There you go. Mark my words. And you're also changing the the tint on your screens yeah, while you're Yeah, I downloaded this program called Flux. For those of you who are on your computers a ton like I am, you can't get it on your cell phone yet. 
which is obnoxious. But um, on your computer, it's a free program called Flux. I think it's F.Lux is the way that it's spelled. And basically, you plug in the time, and as the day goes on, your screen turns from its normal color, and it sort of tints red as it as the day wears on. So by the nighttime, you're not staring at a bright blue tinted light like you normally are with a computer. That's gone, so it shouldn't keep you awake. So that's something you can look into if you have issues falling asleep. I found actually that's been pretty helpful. But you know, the problem isn't that I can't fall asleep as that it doesn't matter. I could fall asleep at the drop of a hat. But anyway, I'll keep you guys posted on that. I just thought that it was interesting that I did get a full blood and hormone panel after being vegan for almost 14 years and everything is perfect. So not that I feel perfect, but all my blood work is perfect. So yeah, and that's that's pretty cool, considering the fact that you went through competition prep for half of this year, at least. Yeah, that's true. I thought for sure my thyroid would be kind of screwed up just from that, actually, not from being vegan or anything like that. But I thought, you know, you take a beating mm-hmm. during contest prep, and it would make sense to be anemic or low in a vitamin because you're just low in calories all around. People don't get it, man. I mean, it's been four months for me since I I was on contest prep and my body's still recovering in several ways. You know, my hormones feel like they're just starting to get back to the baseline levels. Yeah. People, if if you've never been, if you've never had to force your body into that stage of leanness, you have no idea how taxing it really, really is. So I'm actually, I attribute my vitamins all being exactly where they need to be to my supplementation, which is an entirely different hot topic. We don't want to open up that box right now. (laughs) Uh, And anyway, uh, not to go off topic before we get into what we're actually going to talk about today. The, I I forgot the plant built talk was recorded and we'll put a link in the description for today's podcast episode. So that way you can check it out yourself. So what are we talking about today, Giacomo? Gee, I don't know. The same thing we talk about every day. Flexible <laughs> dieting. What else do we talk about? No, I'm just kidding. But there's, you know, there there are a lot of misconceptions about what exactly flexible dieting is. And I think there's still some some more we can expand on this topic, especially considering the the information that we've seen out there as of late. Yeah, basically we we got called out in a forum. Mm-hmm. Um by a couple of people, which it's actually quite interesting because these people have, or at least one of them has come to us for nutritional advice. So it was interesting to see us get called out publicly. Basically, it was Danny and Giacomo follow IIFYM, and they're no better than the bros at the gym who just eat unhealthy crap all day. We don't even care about health, basically, and we just eat junk food. And this this thread uh, sort of unraveled into... These ridiculous ideas about what flexible dieting is and basically you just get to eat junk food all day and expect to get like a great body composition. Mm -hmm. Uh, But meanwhile, your insides basically like rot away. It was I mean, it was a little bit funny, but at the same time, it's a pretty large forum. And the idea that other people were reading this and possibly believing it was just a little bit of a bummer. I mean, most people were not in agreement with this idea, but, you know, these ideas are out there and I think that they need to be talked about. Misconception number one. As far as flexible dieting goes, flexible dieters get to eat junk food all day, every day. They have the option to choose nothing but junk food and they can get optimal results. And that's what flexible dieting is about. True or false? Of course that's false. (laughs) But that's, but there's, there's a concept out there that that's what people are promoting when it comes to flexible dieting, that you can basically just eat whatever the hell you want. 
Right, which is ridiculous because if you really want to take a step back and look at flexible dieting for what it truly is, it's calorie counting. It's calorie counting. Uh, You can talk to anybody who calorie counts. They don't just get to eat whatever they want, you know, go to a Weight Watchers meeting or something, which is actually more similar to flexible dieting than most people care to recognize. And, you know, the Weight Watchers crew... They don't just get to eat anything they want just because, you know, if they have 20 points, then they get to spend the 20 points on a half of a cake or something like that. I mean, technically, and this is where people get confused, technically, somebody could do that. Who the hell would do that is what I want to know. Now, as opposed to Weight Watchers and calorie counting... Macro counting or flexible dieting or IIFYM or whatever you want to call it takes it a step further and not just counts the calories, but specifically counts where they're coming from in the form of carbohydrates, protein, and fat and fiber. And the fiber is actually very, it's often overlooked, but it's one of the most important things about flexible dieting. Because if you have to get, if you have to get a minimum of, let's say, 35 grams of fiber, You are not going to get that eating shit all day. It's never going to happen. I mean, to most vegans, getting 35 grams of fiber is so, so easy. Some of us get that by lunch. You know what I mean? But to your average standard American dieter, 35 grams of fiber is kind of a lot for most people. And they're going to have more trouble reaching that. But even as a vegan, you cannot eat tofurkey pizza and daya cheese and so delicious ice cream all day long and reach that fiber goal you still won't hit that fiber goal well not to mention i mean there you know certain foods are just very fat and carb dense to the point where they're just not going to fit into your macronutrient requirements i mean they will but like only sensible portions and only so often right and you know when your macros are set up in a certain way you can't fit junk in it all day and I mean you have a certain protein goal that you have to hit and you're not going to get that eating junk all day long uh not vegan junk uh, not vegan like it doesn't matter you if you're gonna hit your protein goal and you have to keep your carbohydrates and your and your fats at a certain place and hit your fiber goal that's a lot more than just eating cookies all day pretty much and you know once again there'll be many days where you not even in the mood to have a cookie or anything else because you'd rather fill up on a nice big plate of salad, you know? I mean, if it was up to me and I and I was at a caloric deficit, right? Like I was maybe two, three months ago on contest prep. And I had the option of having, you know, a roll of Smarties candy or a giant plate of salad. Which one's going to fill me up more? The plate of salad. I'm going to go for that every time are there going to be people out there that try to squeeze in as much junk food as humanly possible of course there are there's of course there's going to be somebody out there that's trying to squeeze as much junk food into their diet as they possibly can and that's their prerogative you know there's gonna you could take that in the other direction and find some clean eater type of a person who's getting all of their carbohydrate from psyllium powder and you know a bajillion grams of fiber so much to the point that they actually are not absorbing any nutrients. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can point. you can take 
flexible dieting to the extreme and do nothing but like protein powder and candy bars all day, you can take clean eating to the extreme too, where people become so obsessed with clean eating that they end up eliminating food group after food group after food group after food group, you know, sugar, salt, oil, uh, nightshades. Like I I could go on forever with some of the things that I've heard that people don't eat because of X, Y, or Z reason until, you know, what they're left with is not enough, not enough options to get all of their vitamins and minerals in. Right. And like you said, whatever you're getting in, you can wind up not even absorbing because of the type of food that you're eating. If you're just having a diet that's obscenely high in fiber. Somebody could eat way too much kale and affect their thyroid. You can take anything to the extreme. Enough water. You know, water's great for you. You drink enough of it, it'll kill you though. So just be logical. You know what I mean? That sounds so easy. Be logical, but it turns out common sense is a little less common than you would expect. Now, and one of the, the caveats of the health and fitness industry that is a huge pet peeve of mine is the food shaming and the lifestyle shaming in general. Like that there's, well, everybody wants to be this picture of perfect health and what needs to be done. And something's lost in translation because it's like, do what I do and, you know, eat the cleanest food or do what I do, and you could have as much junk food as you want. And, you know, the answer really lies somewhere in the middle, and it's about having finding that healthy balance. And that's basically what flexible dieting is. You know, unlike other approaches where it's an all-or-none mentality and people are constantly falling off the wagon, flexible dieting allows you the ability to find your own happy medium over time, whatever that might be, whether you're going from being maybe too heavy on the cleaning side and trying to add a little more processed foods or or social events where you go out and you don't feel like, oh, well, now I'm cheating. No, you're just going out and having a meal, and that's okay. Um, well, or- that's, that's the thing I hear a lot is, like, flexible dieting is so stupid. In fact, this was in the thread. Flexible dieting is so stupid. Why don't you just eat clean and have a cheat meal when you want it? It's ridiculous. What do you mean a cheat meal? Your your lifestyle is not like you're not harming yourself if you're living according to your own moral compass and you're you make a choice. It's it's shouldn't you shouldn't have to punish yourself. Well, yeah, calling something a cheat meal is absolutely ridiculous. If if it's your lifestyle, why do you, why if it's your lifestyle and you believe in it so much, why do you have to cheat on it? No, I I don't get it. And if you're following flexible dieting, like Giacomo and I, I think, can pretty much agree that I eat mostly whole foods. I eat a lot of whole foods with the exception of my mock meats or my analog meats. Like I enjoy those thoroughly. Outside of those, my carbs and fats, they almost always come from whole foods. So I consider myself, uh, for lack of a better term, for lack of a better term, like a clean eating flexible dieter, if that makes sense. But I don't feel like when I go out and have donuts in Atlanta that I've cheated somehow. I don't feel like I've cheated myself in any way because it's just as simple as, you know, looking it up, plugging it in, and moving right along. I don't have to sit there with any guilt about what I just Mm -mm. did, which a lot of clean eaters have cheat meal remorse. No, it's just crazy. I mean, I've I've gone out in social gatherings with friends and... You know, they, they talk about how it's it's one way and it's the only way and that's the way that they are and that's the way that they eat. And then what they or what they choose to order, not what they're served, but what they're choosing to order 
tells a different story and like they feel so guilty that they have to actually talk about it like oh i don't usually eat this but i'm just gonna have it today and then you know but most of the time i eat a certain way right you can tell that they're like already feeling guilty about it they're they can't even enjoy it while they're eating it because they already feel like they're doing something naughty and and that is just incredibly fucked up in my opinion one of the other things that i saw in that thread that i thought was particularly funny probably the funniest thing of all was giacomo and danny don't even care about their health they just eat junk food like the bros or whatever and I think that's the funniest thing and I find it to be pretty standard fare in a lot of the vegan fitness community that when people say the word health they're talking about one thing they're talking about their physical health physical health is obviously very very important and I care a great deal about my physical health however that is not the only kind of health there is there is mental health and I come across in my profession more people with mental health problems around their food intake than physical health problems around their food intake 10 to 1. It's insane. Um, You can meet somebody who, you know, put them through the doctor's test and they're healthy as hell. They're in tip-top shape. But you start talking to them and you realize just how unhealthy their relationship is with food and their body and their relationship to food And that is an entirely different beast that is not to be neglected. We need to be talking about this, particularly in the vegan community where there seems to be so much dogma about what you have to eat. Are you doing it right? Are you not eating this because blah, 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 blah. Um, I read this book by somebody with zero accreditations and said that they don't eat soy because it gives you boobs or something absolutely ridiculous like that. And then somehow this just like catches on and the bandwagon forms. And suddenly there's a group that feels morally superior to other people because they eat cleaner food. And it's like we're trying to measure ourselves on the vegan scale and who's like the most purest, cleanest vegan that ever veganed. And it's just making other people feel bad like they're not doing enough. So they push themselves to try and be cleaner, purer eaters. And eventually they just can't, they can't uh, restrict themselves to that limited number of foods. And it becomes isolating from social events. And eventually they just snap and binge and feel like a failure and shit talk themselves. And the cycle goes on and on and on until you end up with full-blown eating disorders or just slight but chronic disordered eating and self-talk patterns. And, you know, mental health and physical health, they go hand in hand. And to me, while flexible dieting, it's not a cure-all. And I don't want anybody to think that we're ever implying that flexible dieting is the be-all, end-all answer to everyone everywhere. I don't think that at all dieting is hard when we're getting ready for a show dieting is hard whether you're flexible dieting or on a meal plan it doesn't matter that shit's hard so likewise reversing out is still hard you do have to in a sense you do have to restrict because you're restricted to the number of carbohydrates fats and proteins that you are allotted for the day so when i say we don't restrict foods in a sense you know you are still restricting to a degree And that's not going to be right for everybody. And I totally get that. But it's about the balance. And balance is going to look different on everybody. Everybody's going to have a different picture of what balance means to them. 
surrounding food and health. And to me, being able to compete in my chosen sports and still have holiday dinners with my family and go out and celebrate on occasion and, you know, go out to eat every once in a while and just say, fuck it, I'm not going to track anything tonight and just feel good intuitively eating a meal for the night because maybe I need a mental break from putting everything on the scale. It doesn't happen often, but it happens occasionally and I'm not going to feel bad about that the same way I'm not going to feel bad about eating a donut in Atlanta. And to me, that is what flexible dieting is about. Right. Because I mean, let's face it, with all of this calculating and tracking, you can become obsessed with tracking food and that in and of itself can be a problem. Absolutely. And so, you know, once again, it's all about learning through application and practice how to track, but also allowing yourself the freedom to not always track, but kind of have a general idea of the direction that you want to be trending in for a healthy and fit lifestyle. You know, I mean, I just got off of a competition, you know, like I said, 17 weeks ago, roughly. And your competition was like 10 weeks ago. But I mean, (laughs) I've been reverse dieting for 17 weeks. And... You know, I, I still, I go out and I estimate my uh, my food intake sometimes even weekly, even a couple times a week. And I intentionally pick foods that I choose not to weigh or measure and just eyeball because in, cause I've gotten to the point where I can, I can do that. Right. And that takes practice. And sometimes just that in and of itself, and I don't just mean it takes practice to eyeball the food, that obviously takes practice. It also takes practice when you're coming from a very restricted place of, you know, when you're a clean eater or like an obsessive macro counter that needs to weigh every single ounce of their food, it can be scary to either introduce new quote unquote fear foods, or it can be scary to eat a meal that you didn't weigh everything in. So that can take some practice too. But again, it's about finding a balance that works for you. And, you know, you have to try a few things to figure that out. Right. I mean, just even just take a look at uh, nutritional labels and food testing in and of itself. I mean, it's not a perfect science. No, not at all. Food labels, I believe, legally can be up to 20% off as far as calories go. Yeah. And if you think that the companies that manufacture these foods that want them to look a certain way are not painting a picture to, to tweak the numbers to look just right, then think again. But once there's nothing to worry about, you know what I mean? With, even with like as much of a 20% variance in carbs, protein, and fat on nutrition labels, as long as you have a general idea, once again, of what you're eating, whether you're weighing it 100% of the time or even only half of the time, mm-hmm. you can still trend in the right direction and have a, a, a balanced lifestyle. Yeah. All of this competition prep withstanding. Because I think when you sign up to compete in a bodybuilding or physique competition, you're you're signing yourself up to be pretty stringent from now until that date. So that's a little bit different. And I don't think that, I think in that particular instance, seeming obsessive about counting your food isn't really necessarily obsessive. It's discipline because every little thing matters at that point. Um, not to say you can't be obsessed and be disciplined, but mm-hmm. I digress. So clearly... Clearly, this is something we're very passionate about. And again, not that we said flexible dieting is for everybody. It's not going to be for everybody. And that's totally fine. I just happen to think that comparing clean eating to flexible dieting specifically is a little bit silly. 
because they are basically complete opposites. On the clean eating side, you can eat as much as you want of whatever you want, as long as it fits into these neat little completely whole unprocessed foods. Again, what is clean eating? We don't know. (laughs) And then on the flexible dieting side, you are restricted to your macronutrient limits, but what you choose to eat to hit those limits is up to you. So really it's about freedom and it's about choices and you can find somewhere in between if that's something you're interested in. I mean, you can eat clean all you want, but you're still eating macros. So (laughs) people can say, I don't do macros, but it's like, no, you do. You do. You just don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Right. And I feel like it does give a little more breathing room for those who are finding healthier options for the bulk of their diet, Mm -hmm. you know, without feeling like they're a failure. Like you take someone who is just used to eating out and eating fast food three times a day, every day. And they say to themselves, all right, I don't want to eat out three times a day and eat fast food. I do want to get healthier. What do I do? And they start finding out all this information. Well, eat the cleanest foods. Go on a cleanse. Yeah. Drink this tea. Don't eat eat anything else. Right. (laughs) And it's like, well, you know, they're used to eating one way. And now it's like if they can't all of a sudden just find the the purest whole unprocessed foods and they're going to fail. But it shouldn't have to be an all in a mentality. They should be able to, to introduce other foods, uh, you know, at a, a normal rate mm-hmm. and, and still I mean, feel like they're on track. I have worked a fair amount with the morbidly obese population. I'm not talking about people that have 20 pounds to lose. I'm not even talking about people that have 100 pounds to lose. I'm talking about very, very large people. And I think that what Giacomo is saying is most apparent in this particular population. Uh, You would never take this particular population and put them on a very restricted diet. What on earth would that do? Absolutely nothing. But you can take somebody who has incredibly unhealthy habits and start to change one of them at a time. And I have seen these people do make something as simple as a switch from regular soda to diet soda and drop 10 pounds in a week. And that is not an exaggeration whatsoever. In fact, I've seen people drop more than that in a week just from that one change. And by going from small change to small change as they adapt to each small change, they're able to build upon the last one and their confidence sort of turns into a snowball rolling downhill and they pick up steam. Whereas if you say from day one, well, you're going to eat oatmeal in the morning and salad in the afternoon and rice and beans at dinner. And that's your life now. That's never going to work. No one's going to be able to stick to that. But then even if you just take the average population that just wants to lose 15 or 20 pounds, you know, maybe they can, maybe they can stick to that very, very rigid diet and they can for a certain amount of time and they will see certain results from that and then eventually they just can't do it anymore a social occasion comes up they have a really emotional day uh, someone invites them out for drinks after work they you know well i'll just have one and then then they feel bad because they cheated on their diet and then that will either lead to a lot of guilt and generally overcompensation in the form of caloric restriction or overexercising, or it just turns into a bender where they say, screw it, and they just eat whatever they want until they feel so bad that it's like, well, I'm going to start again on Monday. 
you know, everybody, again, balance looks different for everybody, but to write off flexible dieting entirely and just call it a junk food diet is, it could not be further from the truth. It is a lifestyle that allows you to enjoy your life and reach your goals and it gives you the freedom to choose the foods that you want. If someone chooses to eat junky, not micronutrient-dense foods, then so be it. That's their choice. And, you know, most people who are interested in flexible dieting and interested in, you know, working out and reaching physical goals, they do have an interest in their health. I mean, personally, I got into veganism for ethical reasons only. I didn't give a shit about my health, but that was a lifetime ago. And I very much so do care about my health at this point and my goals and my life and my mental health. So to me, this is a really great way to sort of ride that line between all of those things. Anything else to add on this topic, Giacomo? (laughs) I don't know. I think we have to basically find a way to stop talking about this topic because we could go on a rant for a while. Yeah, pretty, pretty passionate about this one just because of how many people I've seen so, 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 so screwed up by this idea of clean eating and restricting food groups. So we'll wrap it up there. But if you guys have any questions about flexible dieting that we didn't answer today, which we may not have because we mostly just ranted at you, uh, <laughs> feel free to leave a comment on either one of our Instagrams, our Facebook page, and Twitter. We're at Vegan Proteins and at Muscles by Brussels on those platforms. Moving on to our review segment for today's episode, I'd like to talk about a new, who I believe is also an up-and-coming YouTuber, Scott Shetler. as uh, a teammate, a personal friend of mine, and I can't tell you how excited I am that he decided to put, his, put content out there and to produce it regularly. Scott Shetler started the Strength and Health tv vlog on youtube and you can i mean we'll put a link at the bottom uh on the description of this podcast but you could also just google scott shetler s-h-e-t-l-e-r youtube and you'll find it pretty easily anyhow he's been producing these episodes pretty regularly i think he's up to episode 16 now if i'm not mistaken scott is a very humble guy but he has a wealth of information and resources to share he's pretty much a master when it comes to exercise physiology uh right now for example he's training an olympic swimmer and it's because he knows his shit basically and i've been telling him for a while actually well i mean not telling him just suggesting like hey scott man you should put your information out there because people could really benefit from from what you have to share and i when i saw his his uh vlog come out i was just overjoyed i i binge watched i'd say the first 10 episodes and I say maybe like the first five or six, it was just him, and but now he's he's getting some other good guests, other plant built team members, his friends in the industry, and just continuing to to share some and drop some knowledge on us basically. So 
when you get a chance, I'd highly recommend checking it out. Yeah, if you're interested in like training form specifically with your big movements, your squat, your deadlift, your bench, your overhead press, um, what sort of accessory work you should be doing to strengthen up these particular moves, little tweaks you can make to these lifts to improve them significantly. He's a really great uh, exercise science type of a guy. And like Giacomo, I, I don't know if I'd say Scott's humble, <laughs> but uh, he's he's a little bit unassuming. You wouldn't guess how much this guy knows. He's very, very intelligent. I respect his opinion in exercise science quite a bit. I've come to him myself for a critique on my form on a couple of exercises, and he's helped me a great deal. And I mean, he's putting out free content. He's putting free content out there. And I think that is one of the coolest things that people can do. You know, he's got decades of knowledge under his belt, more than Giacomo and myself put together, probably. <clears throat> We're dating you, Scott. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he he's totally, totally worth watching. He's entertaining. And, um, you know, he's he's a great guy, obviously vegan. And tons you can learn from him. And he's really super approachable, too. If you have questions, you can email him to him. And I'm sure he'd be thrilled to uh, to help you out and chat with you. And for those of you in the Atlanta area, Scott does have an in-person gym for coaching. Uh, extremefitness.org is where you can find information on that. Extreme-fitness.org. Uh, he also has a lot of content that he puts on his main website, plantbasedperformance.org. And we'll, we'll include all the links down below. Right, I'm moving on to our question segment of today's podcast. This question comes from Amber via email. Would you or Danny have a solid recommendation of which bikini or figure shows are a good are good for first timers? I also live in Massachusetts, but have never competed and would like to try it out. She lives in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. That's well, yeah. I mean, obviously, we're we're fans. in Massachusetts. Come say hi. <laughs> we don't know any vegans here. <laughs> yeah, we love Mass, and but more importantly, what what I'm getting at is the New England area is actually a, a really great place to be for those looking to get into physique competitions because there's a lot of competitions out here. So you're lucky in that regard, and there's a lot of competition mm-hmm. actually. Um, I find it to be a very good area of the country to compete in. In general. The OCB has a ton of shows nationwide. I think it's ocbonline.com. But anyway, the the, org, um, the OCB is a great organization to get started in because not only there is there a lot of competitors, there's also a lot of competitions, and you can find them just about anywhere year-round, actually, which is nice. My suggestion would be to go to naturalbodybuildingevents.com. And you can search by state. You can search by month. Uh, There's a lot of different ways to search. And you can try to find a show that is around the time that you want to do a show and in the area that you would like to do one by searching through those ways. And because it's naturalbodybuildingevents.com, they are all natural, mostly tested shows. But the organizations that I would suggest staying with are OCB. That's my favorite. INBF is a good one. NANBF is another good one. NGA is another one that's picking up some steam. Yep. And also Naturally Fit is mm-hmm. a great organization as well, but they're mostly down south, so. Yeah, they're they're expanding pretty fast though. What I would suggest especially for a first timer, if you're planning on staying a natural athlete is to stay away from the untested organizations 
mainly the NPC and NABA, N-A-B-B-A, I believe. Um, neither one of those is tested, and due to that fact, there is a lot of illicit drug use going on behind the scenes that not many people are talking about. Not that I have a problem with anybody doing whatever it is that they want to do. The problem is that because not many people are talking about it, um, a new person, a new competitor can go to a show and not realize that they're up against a bunch of people who are on drugs and do very, very poorly and feel like a failure, like they did something wrong without ever knowing that it was not a fair fight to begin with. Um, and, you know, it mostly you you would think that it would mostly be in the men's categories, but definitely in figure, absolutely in figure, there's a lot of drug use going on and more and more in bikini all the time. So while I don't think you should necessarily let competing in a non unnatural show uh, deter you from competing in it, because by all means, compete wherever you want to compete. Uh, NPC is definitely the most recognized bodybuilding organization, and that's where all the money is, and that's where all the fame is. So if that's something you're interested in, maybe that's the route you want to pursue. But if you're interested in being the best natural athlete that you can be, then I would suggest sticking with the ones on naturalbodybuildingevents.com. Next question. A general length of time it might take a novice to prep for a competition? I know it varies a lot and would depend on where you are starting from. Four to six months or maybe longer? Well, it depends on what you mean by prep for a competition, I guess. If you just mean the cutting part, that's going to be the biggest variable, I guess, because it does depend on where you're starting from. And that can be anywhere from 12 weeks to, you know, seven months or so. So it really, really, really depends on where you're starting from. But I will suggest that give yourself twice as much time as you think you need. If you think you can get ready in 14 weeks, give yourself 28 weeks, uh, roughly. Unless you're working with a very experienced coach who knows your body quite well, uh, I would say give yourself ample time because you're going to hit plateaus, particularly on your first time around. It's going to take you some time to figure out you know, exactly what to do to get past those plateaus. Plus, you have no idea how your body is going to respond to contest prep. And that's just a wild card. And you want to allow breathing room for that for, to make the changes to give your body the chance to adapt and be stage ready. Now, one thing I will say, you said how long to prep for a show. And that could mean how long it takes you from the day you start thinking about, oh, maybe I want to compete someday. And I find that many, 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 many people, especially women, want to jump into a show way too fast before they have the muscle built. And that is... A damn shame. <laughs> so if you're thinking about competing, I would say give yourself an absolute bare minimum of a year. And I mean, like, like that's the bare bones minimum. And that is including the time it's going to take you to build muscle. Because naturally, unless you were like an athlete all through high school, most of us do not have that sort of muscle built just genetically from the get-go. It's going to take some time to build up, you know, your delts and your arms and your back. And women do tend to have stronger legs than men do right out of the gate. But your upper body, you know, it takes time to build that muscle and no amount of dieting is going to make you look like you have muscle if you don't already have it. So be sure to take the time to build up your metabolic capacity, make sure you're eating enough food, make sure you're lifting heavy and aiming to build muscle before you even think about cutting for a show. Right. And I, I, there is a school of thought out there that is attracted to the competition stage ready body and they sort of use contest prep as their idea of a transformation thinking all they have to do is start contest prep and they will transform but there is a lot of legwork that's involved well before contest prep and it's not to be discounted or taken lightly 
And the last question is from Lisa V. Email. Hi, guys. I wanted to ask if you had a meal macro planning template sheet that you used. I have fallen off the wagon with tracking and am starting fresh. I do use my fitness pal and will continue to do so, but like to write things down as I plan meals and grocery lists for myself and the family. I'm going to attempt to make my own, but thought you guys might have some insight. Okay, so I actually, I just use my fitness pal for tracking my food. However, for many, many, many years, I did use just pen and paper. And I still have every single one of those notebooks upstairs. <laughs> so I would just use a regular notebook, like a regular spiral bound notebook. And what I would do is I would just write down every food item that I ate. Like, let's say I had oatmeal for breakfast. I'd write half cup of oats and then I'd write down the calories, carbohydrates, fat, and protein. So 150, 27, 3, and 5. And I would do that for every food item and then at the end of the meal I would total it up then for my second meal you know I'd do the same thing then I'd total up meal one and two so that I had a running total of how much I was eating throughout the day it you know my fitness pal is incredibly more efficient than that but if you're a pen and paper person which I am a lot of the time then it that's a perfectly fine way to do it and if you're going to make your own template that's all you really need is six columns for the amount the name of the food calories carbohydrates fat and protein and then just make sure you give yourself space in between the meals to total them up and then total up all the previous meals so that you have a running total thank you for tuning in to another episode of vegan proteins muscles by brussels radio you can stay in touch with us on social media at vegan proteins on twitter instagram facebook or wherever you'd like and if you have any questions feel free to reach out to us once again my name is giacomo and i'm danny and we'll see you in two weeks <laughs>